0: Welcome to Points of Change with Johnny Ball, the show where week by week I will be chatting with coaches, trainers, mentors, experts, visionaries, change makers, people with amazing transformational stories and experiences, and people who are helping others to create transformation in their lives. Stay tuned and make sure you subscribe. Don't miss an episode. Welcome to Points of Change, Sean Crane.
1: Hey, Johnny. Good to, have, good to be here, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me, even though we had a few technical issues getting things started today, we got it figured out in the end, luckily. And one of the reasons why I'm very happy to be talking to you today is because you have a very, exceptional story something that most people will probably have no concept of and the kind of thing like you probably hear about sometimes these things happening but you never imagine that you would meet or encounter someone who it's happened to so i'm not gonna steal your thunder i'm gonna let you share a little bit about your story and the the things that happened to you
1: awesome johnny well i'll start when i was arrested at the age of 23 for a crime i didn't commit and I was facing a maximum penalty of life in prison. So that was yeah. a nightmare that came to reality. It was one of those experiences that, as you stated, you hear about, you read about in books, you see on movies, but you never imagine that you'll be the one in that predicament. And I was. And at the age of 23, I was looking at losing my entire life. So for that first year, I spent 23 hours a day in my cell. You know, a cell so small that I could touch both walls simultaneously with nothing but a pencil, piece of paper, a couple books that we would get passed to us from time to time. And my whole world changed in the blink of an eye. So prior to being arrested, I grew up in a beautiful beach community, Santa Barbara, California, an hour and a half north of Los Angeles in Southern California, beautiful sunshine, great people, amazing opportunities all around me. And as a kid, I wanted nothing more than to be a professional athlete and to be a professional surfer. I just had big illustrious dreams. And I was so full of life and so vibrant and so excited every day to be living and just felt completely liberated. Like there was no limitations to what I can do and experience in my life. And at the age of 14, my father was arrested and went to prison and a very dramatic display in front of my siblings and I, and shortly after my mother left the household. So. I had just realized or come into the awareness that my parents were struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and my whole world just crumbled in the blink of an eye from the age of 13 to 14 everything changed for me so going so into your, adolescence... your life
0: sorry sorry so your, your life got completely turned upside down from from quite a young age then what what happened with you and your siblings
1: so thankfully we had my uncle mike who was my dad's eldest brother and he took care of us he took us took us in. He was already living with us. So he just took over. He became mother, father, baseball coach, friend, everything. He was an amazing, is an amazing person, the most incredible, loving, compassionate person I've ever met in my life. And he went above and beyond to give my siblings and I everything. And if it wasn't for his love and his, you know, leadership in that moment of our lives, we would have been lost and hopeless. So he was there for us every step of the way. And Despite having him in my life, I was still very much affected. I didn't know how to cope emotionally with what I was experiencing, losing both my parents and just being so new to this, this next stage of my life, which was high school and, you know, adolescence. I didn't know how to deal with it all. So at the age of 14, when all that happened, I really changed. I went down a dark path. I started drinking excessively, smoking marijuana, taking pills, anything I could do to try to ignore reality, because I didn't Mm -hmm. want to accept what my life had come to, I felt so ashamed and embarrassed and guilty and all these emotions that were plaguing me at the time.
0: I I can imagine that must have felt like hell on earth to some degree. And of course, uh, I think it's natural when you don't have a healthy way of dealing with stuff, you turn to the ways that you know, are there, which usually are not the healthy ways of processing stuff. How did you come to finding yourself in a, in a point and a situation where you were charged with a crime that you didn't commit?
1: So throughout my adolescence, I just, I became a completely different person. I stopped going to school very much. I was drinking, smoking marijuana, not going home. I, like I said, I was in pain and in denial and I just did everything I could to avoid facing reality. And this led me to hanging out with kids or being in environments that I normally wouldn't have. You know, growing up, I was into sports. I had a good group of friends. You know, a lot of them ended up going to college and doing great things with their lives, but at this time I was afflicted. I didn't know how to pull myself out of this despair I found myself in. So I started hanging out with kids who I could relate to, who came from broken homes, who were smoking or drinking like I was. And we would get in trouble. We would get in trouble at school. We would act out. Now we weren't bad kids, We weren't bad people, but we were just lost. And so I I would go out on the weekends and go to parties and did this all throughout high school. And there'd be fights and ruckus going on between the guys at the end of the night. And it wasn't a big deal, this would happen often. And so fast forward, I, I get through high school, I'm starting to kind of get back on the right track, working full time for my uncle's company. And there's some hope there, but I still felt lost. I still felt broken inside. I hadn't dealt with the emotional wounds and I was still very much addicted to these substances I had been abusing. So one night I went out to a party where I didn't really know many people. It was a big house, a lot of, a lot of people there, but I didn't know anyone personally, except for a small group of people, about three or four people that I knew. So we were all socializing, drinking, alcohol, talking, and it was a pretty normal night, a normal house party, I guess you could say. And somewhere throughout the course of that night, there was a group of two individuals who started arguing and it looked like there was going to be a fight. Well, one of the groups was. Couple of those guys that I knew, I didn't know them very well, but I knew them enough to talk to them at the party and to, you know to make small talk because we didn't know anyone else. It's really the first time I had ever socialized with them. I knew them through other people, small town Santa Barbara, so you kind of know of people, you know, yeah. you hear names and whatnot. So we're leaving the party hours later, and that other group from the party confronts them on the front yard. So now I'm in in the mid in the midst of this all. We're all face-to-face on the front yard. And these two groups of people start fighting. And it's it's like a melee, it's a free-for-all. I kind of back up and try to figure out what's going on. At this time, I'm highly intoxicated. I've been drinking and taking pills all night and just abusing my body. So when this fight breaks out, I try to figure out what's going on. And I see a guy approaching me, like he's gonna attack me. So we go to, to start fighting or whatever, and I get tackled from the side. As I get tackled by this big group of people, I thought that I was getting jumped and attacked by that other group that I didn't know. I thought they just, nice. for some reason had saw me out there and thought I was on the opposite side and they were going to attack me. So I get slammed into a car and then I'm grabbing this guy and we we'll are falling to the ground and we fall to the ground and he's on top of me. And I'm trying to get him off of me. And I can't any second I'm expecting to get kicked and punched in the face because I'm getting assaulted and that didn't happen. So eventually I, after three or four attempts, I roll this individual off of me and I throw up, throw two punches towards his head because I think that he's going to attack me as soon as we get to our feet It's a fight. And my punches grazed him a little bit. They didn't really hit him too hard. And so as I get to my feet, he doesn't get up after me. And I thought that was really weird. I mean, this is happening in split second. I just thought that's weird. I didn't hit him hard. I didn't knock him out. I don't know what's going on, but immediately I started walking away because everyone's yelling, let's go, let's go, let's go. The one person I did know very well, who I went to the party with, I had known him since we were five years old is standing in the street and he's yelling to me, Sean, come on, let's go, let's get out of here. And I walk up to him in the street and I'm limping because my back got jarred into the crash to the parked car moments prior. And as I get to him, he looks at me horrified he goes, Oh my gosh, you're covered in blood. And all on my face, my chest, my arms, everything that I could see had blood just dripping off of it as if a bucket of blood was just dumped over my head. And I right. couldn't make sense of what had happened in that moment. All I know is he took off up the street. People are yelling, screaming, let's go. And I start limping up the street after him. And as I hear sirens in the background coming to the party. Now, it's happening so quick. I don't really know what just happened. I just know that I was involved in a fight. The cops are coming. People are running and leaving. And my my gut feeling was to follow him and leave. So I did. We get up the street and he calls me into this door that's opened up to the street. It's a laundromat. He says, come in here. And as I come in, Hot cars are racing by on the street towards the party frantically. So we get into the laundromat and he has a a shirt that he found in the dryer, some old shirt that someone left in there. He says, put this on. You can't walk around like that. And under that light in that room, I could really see that I was just drenched in blood. And at that moment, I still wasn't stopping to ponder or reflect on what just happened. I just was in survival mode. I'm just acting at this point, just reacting. So I put the shirt on. And we leave, and he had called a cab, and we get in the cab and we go back to his house. And we get there, and we're not really talking much. We're kind of confused. We're drunk. We're on pills. It's just really a horrible situation. And we both fell asleep. And then the next morning, I woke up, and it was that moment of recollection that moment of, oh my gosh, what just happened last night? Something really bad happened. And this is serious. It wasn't the nightmare that you hope you wake up from thinking, oh gosh, that was a horrible dream, but I'm glad that's not really my life. And I woke up and the first thing I did was Google fight at the Mesa, which was the location we were located at. It's called the Mesa in Santa Barbara. And it said that two individuals had been stabbed in that fight. And one of them was fighting for his life and that suspects still remain at large. So right then and there, I knew that this was really bad. I knew that the cops were gonna come look at, look for me and question me at some point. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, somebody got really injured severely. I didn't see that happen. But by the blood covered on me and everything that took place after I knew that the guy that had been tackled into me obviously was being stabbed. And I assumed they were going to come and question me, maybe detain me for a short time to try to figure out my involvement. And then I would be let go. I never assumed that I was the number one suspect. And that people at the party said that they saw me fighting with the guy who got stabbed and that I did it. And everyone painted this horrible picture of me being the assailant. So the cops were actually looking for me and they found me later that night, they arrested me at gunpoint with dogs, with the SWAT team, everything. And they charged me with attempted murder and booked me into the county jail.
0: Good grief. I mean, that's, is one hell of a story. And of course, I guess you realize then I know these things can be a blur, but did you have full confidence at that time that, you know, you didn't have anything to do with that other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or was there a bit of blur like, oh, did I do something? Yeah, I know. I knew
1: a hundred percent that I didn't do it despite being altered on drugs and alcohol, I remember every second of that moment and there was never any doubt or Any question, did I do it and not remember? I knew 100% what happened and I was just being charged with this crime. And it was like something out of a nightmare that you can't escape from. Every morning I'd wake up in jail thinking somehow, some way they're gonna have to find out the truth that they're gonna come and open the door and say, crane, you're gone falsely accused, whatever they say, you know, it's your time to go. And that never happened.
0: And, And you went on to be convicted of that as well. Yeah.
1: Yes. My first day in court, my lawyer came up to me and she said, I just want to prepare you that the district attorney and the judge are talking about amending your charges to homicide because the victim is brain dead and they don't think he's going to come out of his coma. And in that moment, I I couldn't even hear the words she was saying. I heard him, but I couldn't feel him. I was so numb and in shock that I didn't know what to make of that. Now the victim would wake up and he would make a full recovery, thank God. Had he not, I would have been charged with murder and most likely been doing life in prison at this moment. So what happened is throughout the course of the next year, I would go back to court and my lawyers would try to plead my case, but they, they didn't believe me. They thought I was guilty as well. So they were just going through the motions with the district attorney and they kind of have this process that takes anywhere from four months to a year to several years, depending on the severity of the case to get the outcome that they want. And that's usually a plea deal in California, the district attorneys, um, are very good at, at either winning at trial or getting you to accept a plea deal for a lesser charge. So what they did is they came to me and said, we will offer you seven years for assault with a deadly weapon. If you take this deal, we won't take you to trial. If we go to trial, we're going to charge you with attempted murder, which carries a maximum penalty of life if you're found guilty. So most likely I was looking at one to two or more decades in prison. If I didn't take this plea deal. And so I, I felt in my heart that that was what I should do, despite knowing that I'm going in there to sign for a deal for a crime that I didn't commit. I didn't look at it like that. You know, I had been through a lot in my life up until that point. And I looked at this as, to, as crazy as it sounds, a blessing in disguise, because throughout that year that I was in the county jail fighting my case, I really became disconnected from the facts from the case. I became disconnected from what was going on in the media and society. I was really focused on myself and my internal transformation that was taking place leading up to that moment. I had been so numb from drugs and alcohol for many years that I had become, you know, disillusioned. I wasn't living as my true self. I lost my identity through that process. And this was really an opportunity for me to to get back and connect to that person and to find out who I truly was and where things went wrong in my life and why I ended up in that cell. Because despite the fact Mm -hmm. that I didn't commit that crime, I did experience a tremendous amount of guilt for the way i lived my life up until that point making the wrong choices and going down that dark and negative path instead of this beautiful path that had been gifted to me from childhood so it was because i was so harmed and and distraught over my parents and what happened with them that i wasn't able to get myself back on course and i had to work through a lot of that pain and a lot of the the suppressed emotions that i never faced early on remember i told you i ran from my problems for so many years So, my cell became my sanctuary where I did that. And I started to face all the pain, all the trauma, and relive it and express those emotions and cry and write about them. And it was a really therapeutic process that I found myself in for the first four months incarcerated. And being in a cell by yourself for 23 hours a day, it gives you an affinity of time to reflect and, and look within self and ask those tough questions. And you really start to create this internal dialogue and connection to yourself that I don't think most people will ever experience in their life being out here in this fast paced world or constantly reacting to, to screens, to people and to places we have to go and things we have to do.
0: Was, was there a, a specific moment or a, a point where you had that realization or was it a bit of a gradual, okay, I can't go on. Let's have to do something about this.
1: A little of both. It started happening really organically. Once I was sober, I started to feel in ways that I hadn't felt in a long time. And and really my whole life, I started to feel this energy, this passion, these emotions inside of me that had been suppressed. So some of those were tough emotions to deal with, but very necessary. And what happened was that blossomed into this desire and this love and this want for life that I had lacked my, my entire adolescence. And so now everything's taken from me and I'm thinking clearly, I have this clarity, I have this, sobriety, I'm, I'm changing internally. And that manifested into this love and desire to live life, this feeling or this realization that Oh, my gosh, it was this close from being taken to me, I'm gonna have a second chance, what am I going to do with that? And I, I really just fell back in love with life in that in that moment in that cell, because everything was taken from you. And, and that's when you truly understand the value that is placed in your life, the value of fresh air of sunshine, of walking with your toes in the sand at the beach, of jumping in the ocean, of talking to people you love and being able to hug them and just hold them. There's so many things that I started to play through my head in those moments that I had overlooked before and lived carelessly. And it ate me away inside. It really did. I realized that I had lived so carelessly that I had just allowed countless opportunities and precious moments to pass me by. But what that did was that regret. I felt like it ate away through the facade, through the shield that I had held up my whole life. And it just disintegrated that. That false bravado. And then now suddenly it was just, I was transparent. I was there. That was me. It was my authentic self. And it, that regret ate away to the point where it sparked the the most immense desire and want to live my life that I could ever describe to you. And I just made a promise to myself in that moment that from this instant on, I'm going to give my, my all, I'm going to give my heart and soul to the world in every moment that I'm a part of, no matter what, no matter if I spend 25 years in prison, I'm going to be the best version of myself everywhere I go in every instant. And that's that was the spark. That happened inside the county jail within the first eight months of my incarceration. And that has fueled me ever since.
0: That's quite an amazing thing because I think many people might imagine, and perhaps this is from watching too many prison dramas, I don't know, but uh, you might imagine that you might feel filled with rage about having been convicted innocently and and on a search for justice rather than for self-development and life fulfillment it's kind of an interesting choice to take given given the events there but but undoubtedly a very empowering one
1: yeah absolutely and you know intuitively i kind of realized early on that to blame other people wouldn't serve me i could sit there and find fault with the witnesses my lawyers the district attorney the judge the individuals who committed the crimes and I could have put a lot of my energy and focus on them, but that wouldn't have changed anything for me. That would have only made me more angry, more upset, more resentful. And it would have clouded my vision to this whole new world that was opening up for me of really limitless possibilities the way I saw it. So early on, I just focused all my energy on the things within my control. And I channeled all my energy into that. And it transformed my mindset, my perspective going forward and the actions that I would take in prison and, and leading out of prison. Had I not had that perspective, I would have spent a lot of time wasting my energy and my thoughts on things that I couldn't c- control or change.
0: Yeah. I, I think we sometimes have heard these stories of people changing their lives whilst they're in prison, where uh, innocent or, or not, that many people have turned themselves around and made those sorts of decisions to to do so. How, how easy is it to, to do that in those kinds of environments, because we often hear that they're not the easiest environments to be sort of enlightened and self fulfilled in.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a tough question to answer. Honestly, it's like a double edged sword. It's the easiest place Mm -hmm. to do it and the hardest at the same time. So what I mean by that is you're around nothing but negative people, violence, drugs, corruption, it's a really negative world. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, if you want to continue to conform if you want to continue to fit in and worry about what other people think and avoid really being the person at heart you want to be, in. and then that's the perfect place to blend in. And you only get worse in time. You'll come out with tattoos on your face, a worse drug habit than you had before you went in. And maybe you do extra time in prison because you got extra charges while you're in there for, for certain acts that you committed. On the other hand, right. for me, it represented everything that I didn't want to be or a part of. So every day. It was the the perfect reminder that I needed how serious every thought I pondered was, every action I took, and every moment of my life. So every second I was focused on reinforcing the person at heart I wanted to be through my thoughts, through my actions, through everything. One moment of me entertaining negative thoughts in my eyes was such a, a massive step backwards, right? A moment where I wasn't taking action to better myself. In my eyes, I was becoming like the individuals around me who I did not to be like so it was perfect it was like holding up that mirror every day and i actually had these two post-it notes written on my cell wall or on my bunk wherever i went one of them said how bad do you want it and the other one said who are you and who are you becoming and those two post-it notes those messages what they represented to me the symbolism of those two mantras fueled me every day of my life all i had to do was look at those and that reminded me that yeah you have 2000 days left in prison, but today is the day you have to win. This next hour of your life is the day you have to win. And what I mean by win is always be the person at heart I want to be. Never again going down that path of negativity, of wearing that mask and trying to conform and fit in just to be liked or doing things that are going to harm me. I was always going to do things to better myself, to challenge myself, and to become that person that I truly envision becoming.
0: Which is. Very inspiring to hear how long did you ultimately end spending in prison?
1: I did five and a half years. So I was charged with assault with a deadly weapon, which carried a maximum penalty of seven years. What they do in California is you have to do 85% of your sentence. So I had to do six years. Now in the course of my time in prison, I was looking to improve myself at all means, right, and anything that I could do to improve, I was seeking out. And they do have rehabilitative programs in prison. So what I started doing early on was taking college courses because I wanted to educate myself. I wanted to make my time valuable. And I knew that if I could look back on my time in prison and say, well, I earned college degrees and I did all these other things that I would feel good about that. And I know my time wasn't done in vain. So I ended up getting four college degrees, associate's degrees, because they don't allow you to pursue bachelor's or master's, but I had access to all these materials and resources. So every day I would study, write my papers, Diligently, six, seven days a week, hours upon hours every day. That was part of my, my program and my routine. And so at the time when I was enrolled in college courses, I wasn't eligible for time off my sentence because I have a, a violent crime. You don't get any extra time off your sentence. You have to do all of that 85%. Well, throughout the, the duration of me being incarcerated, they changed that rule. So about four or five months before I earned my, my degrees all at the same time, because my credits accumulated they passed a new rule saying, hey, violent offenders can get time off their sentence. So I found out I'd get six months off my sentence for those college degrees. So that was very rewarding. That was one of the only things that I did while incarcerated that had a direct benefit to me in the moment. Everything else I did, the the results had to be suspended. You know what I mean? It was intrinsic growth. I did it for myself. I did it because I knew those acts and actions would benefit me years and decades down the road. And I was doing it because I had this vision of the man I wanted to become. But in order to sustain that, it required immense faith every day, because there was no officer there, there was no warden, there was no employer saying, hey, if you do these things, when you get out of prison, we're going to give you a job. Or, hey, if you do these things, when you go to uh, prison, your life's going to get better. Or, hey, if you do these things, you'll end up getting time off. I had to do them because my heart, my intuition was calling me to do them. And that's when my whole mindset shifted from fear-based, from self-doubt from holding back that's who i was prior and in prison i shifted that through these small actions every day to being someone who followed their heart who listened to that intuition who was willing to do whatever it took every day to improve their lives and that
0: transformed everything for me did, did you ever seek out exoneration from the what you'd been charged with
1: early on in court i was trying to plead my case and the police report was written up so horribly against me that it it looked really uh, you know, ghastly. It wasn't very feasible that they were going to overturn my charge with the way that that police report was written up. Had I had $100,000, $200,000 to hire some top lawyers and their private investigators, who knows, I might've got the case thrown out. They might've went and talked to the witnesses and realized that, you know, their, their stories have been fabricated or written up differently to point a finger at me. Usually that's how those things work, but that wasn't what was in store for me. I was meant to go serve that time and truly discover myself and get this new path in life that has emerged for
0: me. So uh, that is more important to you than justice having been served uh, or the injustice done against you is that everything good that came from that experience has turned out to be very positive for you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was the best experience of my life. Honestly, it was a blessing. I'd probably be dead right now or just living a, a mediocre life at best. Now I, have three beautiful children. I'm married. I get to coach men all over the world in my life. Coaching business became a best-selling author telling my story. I mean, just have a lot of amazing experiences that I've been able to be a part of. And, you know, looking back, no one died in that experience. People were right. hurt and I don't feel good about that whatsoever, but everyone at the party and through word of mouth and through the grapevine, everyone knew I was innocent. No one just wanted to come forth and say it because they didn't want to talk to the police, but. Santa Barbara is a small community and I've heard from numerous different sources that the people who are injured in that case and their family, they know that I didn't do it. They know that I was charged with it and I had to do time for something I didn't do in prison, but there's no ill will towards me. And they know that I didn't commit those acts. So that right there for me means a lot because I could go and do the prison time and my life has massively improved. And I, I thank God for that. But if those people were still upset with me or thought that I harmed their family members, that wouldn't sit well with me. So knowing that, that they understand the truth and the truth is out there in our community, and I've been able to come home and show the community and my family and everybody who saw me once in a different light, the true version of who I am and have that positive impact on people's lives, it's all come full circle and it all has worked out the way it was supposed to in my eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly have to find, find your book and the the story is incredible. I, I would watch that film on, on Netflix or wherever, you know, it's uh, uh, an amazing story and it doesn't end there. So what happened then? Take us through what happened when you, when you were released and what you started to do in your life then?
1: Yeah. So the day I got out was amazing. It was everything you could imagine and more just the anticipation, the excitement, the joy of being back home with your family and away from that negative world, but I also was confronted with another challenge. And that was how can I take this new perspective and mentality and apply it to my life here and find success and fulfillment. And once again, just like early on in my incarceration or prior in my life, that fear and self-doubt surfaced. can I do this? Am I good enough? What will I do? Luckily for me, not luckily, but fortunately, and I planned this out, I had been applying myself every day for those five and a half years. So when I came out, I was ready. I was prepared. I had the right mindset and I was going to do whatever it took to create a better life for myself than I had prior. So the day of my brother and sister picked me up and we drive to Huntington beach with, which is an iconic beach town in Southern California. And we end up surfing. The waves are huge. My brother and I get boards. We rent boards on the beach and we go and paddle out. And it was amazing. Three hours before I was in a cell. And now I'm out here in the beautiful sunshine of Huntington beach the turquoise water, so you know, the smell of salt water. It was just amazing. So many, so many smells and, you know, so much color. It was, oh, I was overstimulated. I was used to seeing gray walls, stainless steel toilets, everything just very plain. And out here, it was just so vivid and it was amazing. And it was, I was back, you know, I was back and I was ready to take over the world or take on the world. And so what happened is that first couple of months being home, I was living on a trailer in my aunt uncle's property and I got out and they gave me $200 at, at the prison and they said, all right, you know, good luck. And so I had to come home and really forge my path once again. Now in prison, I wasn't just studying psychology and biology and English and business, all those courses that allowed me to get the degrees. I was also studying anatomy, physiology, sports medicine, exercise science, because I knew I wanted to come home and be in the fitness industry. That's something I was passionate about. I wanted to train people, I wanted to work with people. And I was doing that in prison, helping guys change their physiques, build confidence, really change their approach to life and care for themselves their more through their actions every day. So I had uncovered my purpose and that was to connect with people and to help them to do what I was doing, to shift from living in fear and doubt and going down that dark road to what if, what if I take this step and pursue that, that passion? What if I go for it and face this fear and see what I can do? And so I wanted to help people make that shift because I knew it would help them live better lives. And I wanted that for everyone I came across. So about two months after being home, I had the opportunity to get a job at a local gym, Um, actually an hour away from where I I paroled to where I was staying on my aunt and uncle's property. And at that time, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot going for me. I had an opportunity to work for my uncle's company, which was tree, tree work, climbing, trimming trees. That's what I had done before. And it offered security, it offered a consistent paycheck, and I could have definitely had a a decent life doing that, but it wasn't what I felt in my heart. So I had to pursue what I wanted in my heart. I couldn't go back to that old lifestyle and just settle. So I moved out of my aunt, uncle's property. And it's actually a really interesting story. The week before I was set to start that new job and move back to my hometown of Santa Barbara, I was staying an hour south when I got out, there was these fires that burned through our whole community and the county north and the county south. My uncle's home almost burned down. And we actually had to flee and stay at an Airbnb. So I'm just trying to fit in back in society and figure out how to live again, because coming from prison into society, is fast paced, it's different. And now there's these fires almost burned the house down. We're staying at an Airbnb and I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to live my life going forward. And then a week later, torrential rainstorms came through. And all the burned land created mudslides. So now the freeway to right. get to where my new job is, is shut down and all this adversity is just happening. Right. And so I'm just thinking, gosh, what's going on? This isn't the way things supposed, were supposed to happen. I had this vision of coming home and, you know, everything's just going to unfold perfectly. And before I know it, I'm just going to be living out my dream, right? Helping people, traveling, and speaking. And you just think it's going to happen so effort, effortlessly, but it doesn't. And really. God and the universe are challenging me, saying, okay, you say you want this stuff. You tell people about it. What are you willing to do to get it? Because we're gonna challenge you every step of the way. That's the way it works, right? The universe is gonna put a challenge in your way. God's gonna challenge you to see if you're worthy enough to get there." So what happened was I was at, you know, the county I was staying in and I was reflecting on, what am I gonna do? The freeway shut down. I'm supposed to start work on Monday. It's Saturday. You know, I don't have anything going for me here. I can't work here. I'm just in limbo. And I ended up contacting an old friend who flew planes and found out that he was actually flying over the mudslide back and forth each day to carry people who lived in the South County into Santa Barbara, because Santa Barbara had a lot of work. Everyone commutes into Santa Barbara for work. So I said, Hey, can I catch a ride with you? I have this new job, this new opportunity. I'm stuck here. I have nothing going on for me. And he said, meet me at the airport on Monday morning. I'm picking a guy up there. I'll fly you in with us. So I just packed my bag. And I had a little money that I had saved up, nothing much. And I had a duffel bag full of possessions. And I went down to the airport and flew in with him. And in the midst of that flight, he goes, so you're going to go do this, this job at the gym. You're going to be a personal trainer. That's great, man. Um, how are you going to get around or where are you going to stay? And I just looked at him and said, I, I don't know where I'm going to stay. And I don't have a car. I don't know. I'm just going for it. This is what I have to do. I feel it. And so. In the midst of that flight, he said, well, my dad has a room for it. We should go there and talk to him. Maybe you'll be able to get a room. So we've landed in Santa Barbara. He fly, he takes me right to the gym. I meet the owner of the gym. He and I hit it off. He said, "Great, Sean, you start tomorrow, 5 a.m. on Monday. So I have my job. Then we drive to meet his dad. And within a couple minutes of talking to his dad, he and I clicked. I gave him all my money for the room. He, he says, here, here's first month's rent. Can you afford it? I gave him literally all my money. And now I had a room, but I didn't have a car. And so what I ended up doing is contacting my uncle's mechanic. He had all these beat up cars that he was fixing up and selling. And he said, come on down. Let's see if you can afford one of these cars that I just fixed up. And I had no money. I was just going down there to kind of bargain with him. And out of all the cars, I found one that he was willing to let me borrow for a time being and pay him back later. It was a Honda civic with the whole rear end just smashed in. It had been an accident and it was basically looked like it was totaled. Like if you saw someone driving on the street, you think they're driving to the junkyard, I can't even believe that (laughs) thing's running, but I had no other choice. And I wanted this so badly. So I took the car and I was really excited because now within 24 hours, I had my job in a new city, my old city, I was back. I had a place to stay and now I had transportation and that was my start. That was all I needed. I, you know, that was my start in entrepreneurship and pursuing that vision. And from there, things just started to fall in place. Six months later, a year later, I left that gym and started my own fitness company. I've been getting good results with clients, connecting with people in the community once again, and that took off. And then last year when COVID began, the gyms were all shut down. And yeah. so I had been coaching people online as well, and I was running my business part-time in person at the gym, then part-time on my online platforms. But with COVID, it forced me to really go all in to creating my online coaching business. And that's what I wanted to do all the while. I was just trying to figure out how to make it work and really pull the trigger and go all in. And I did. And I knew that because of COVID and the stress people were under, they hadn't been in lockdowns. They hadn't gone under, um, this type of stress or been faced with this adversity on this level, on a systemic level worldwide. So I started just talking about my story more. And I started sharing the monumental moments that shifted my mindset, helped me to find more purpose in that cell, find more peace within during those tough times. And people could connect with that and they're resonating with it so that's when my life coaching business sean crane coaching lifestyle transformation program really just took off and it's i've been able to reach men all over the world and and connect with them and help them in ways that are allowing them to live more fulfilling lives and improve the quality of their lives at home in their business with their families everything that they do so that has been an amazing journey and then at the beginning of this year i really wanted well Last year, I really wanted to write a book and a story about my experience in prison and everything we're discussing here in much more detail and much, much greater detail. So during COVID, I started doing that. I started getting up really early every morning and writing my story. And the book came out in January. It's called prison of your own. It's available on Amazon and the audiobooks coming out next month as well too. So I'm really excited Fantastic. about that. Yeah. And so I tell you all those things because. It's great to achieve things in life. And it's, it's awesome to really set a goal and to accomplish it. But what's even more fulfilling for me is the journey to get there, to know that this all started alone in a cell with nothing with just the the dreams and the desires that I held within. And once I started acting upon those, it changed everything for me and it's produced a whole new life and a whole new existence that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to experience. So I share that because if I could go from. Being broken down and alone in a cell to now achieving what i get to experience out here and being a a devoted husband a father of three i mean my life is beautiful and i attribute it all to that decision i made in the cell that i'm not going to allow fear and doubt to plague my existence anymore i'm not going to make decisions based on what if right i'm going to start making decisions based on i want this i know i can do it i'm going to give my all and i'm just going to pursue that vision every step of the way And if I could do it in there, I know anyone out here listening right now can do that as well.
0: Right. It's, it's an interesting point. I mean, nobody, I don't think would judge you very harshly. If you had been in a more of a victim mentality of why me, why is this happening to me? Is that, that's often where we tend to go. How do you, how did you manage to keep those thoughts at bay? Especially when more challenges started to arise for you.
1: Yeah, they, they were always there. They'll never go away. But I think that for the longest time, life was beating me down. And I felt like a victim when my dad went to prison, when my mom left us. You know, one thing after the other, there's so many incidents where I was faced with adversity and I was struggling and I always felt like a victim. And I always asked myself that, why is my life this way? What happened? What went wrong? And I didn't want to be like that anymore. So when I went to jail and I was alone in that cell, I just finally told myself, you know, enough's enough. I'm not going to go out like this. If this is the end, I'm going to go out knowing that I at least fought to the end and that I gave my all and I made an attempt to see what life could be like if I changed my approach and my attitude. And that's what I did. And it was so liberating. It felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders, knowing that I didn't have to go around feeling like a victim anymore. I didn't have to go around dependent on drugs and alcohol anymore. You know, damaged by my parents or afflicted by the past that i could be myself i could be that boy inside that i really felt connected to my whole life that love life and that's what happened i just i just stopped allowing those stuff those things to weigh me down because it it was so exhausting carrying that pressure around on my shoulders my whole
0: life i i think there are a few stories i've ever heard especially firsthand that fill me with the uh, the optimism of, of showing just how much you can turn adversity into opportunity and, and how much that is about your mindset and your will to to do something and to, to not accept your circumstances or any perceived injustices as being the end of your story or being just how it is Saying no and so, you know, take this and, and do something with it we can you know we, we can make something out of this even though it seems terrible
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the choice is ours. No matter what we face, we can never allow ourselves to become victims because that takes away the power to change. But when we face the challenges head on, we face the struggles, when we admit our fault and we become willing to, to take ownership, we retain the power and control, and then we can grow through that experience and adapt and evolve. And that's when personal development and growth really takes place.
0: Absolutely. What What do you hope that uh, people listening to this or reading your book or hearing your story will most remember about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, speaking of the book, I, I love for anyone listening to go check it out. It's on Amazon, the ebooks 99 cents, I believe the paperbacks about 14 prison of your own. And it goes much more into detail into the the mental struggle that I went through the, the psychological battle that I had to face every day. And I, I believe this is applicable to everyone out here. We all have that desire in us, the person that we truly want to be. But for some reason we settle for someone far less. We make excuses. We procrastinate. Oh, tomorrow I'll do it. Oh, on the 1st of January. Then tomorrow comes and you hit snooze and you're wasting your life. You're letting your dreams pass you by. So anyone that's listening to this right now, I want you to know that you already have the answers to your problems, whether you realize it or not, and you are far more capable to overcome those challenges and be that amazing person in your heart you aspire to be. I promise you that. I didn't have anything special given to me. I didn't have you know, this secret key or this blueprint to change my life. I just started becoming high, highly aware of this internal battle that I was facing day by day. And I started to connect the dots from my feelings and thoughts to my actions. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, all my actions are based on fear and doubt. And that's why I'm getting these outcomes. I'm holding back, I'm making excuses. I'm worried about what other people think. I'm worried about failing. I'm worried about not being good enough. So my actions reinforce that and it perpetuates the cycle and I'm stuck. Once I realized that and I started to become willing to do just whatever I felt my heart was good for me, the smallest, simplest things early on, that started to shift that perspective and mindset. And I started to see, wow, I can take this new course. That was scary, but I did it. I did try, you know, I, I did try that first college course and I got an A. I did go up on stage in the drug program in prison and speak. And the guys gave me an applaud, applause. Like I did face my fears and, and I'm doing it. And that creates a, a confidence in yourself, a belief. And you can continue doing that. And that's where that shift takes place. So for anyone listening, I just want them to know it's possible for them. And they already have what it takes to, to do that. The choice is just theirs and they have to act in accordance with what they want, not with what they've been settling for.
0: Yeah, there's an almost uh, paradoxical reality that the challenges and the uh, restrictions, constraints that we face in life many times are the things that we, sometimes we can resent them for sure, but they're the things that push us to grow, that develop develop beyond what we are, that a comfortable life doesn't really challenge us, doesn't push us to, to growth, and that we should never wish, never even wish for a comfortable life, not that we should wish for horrific adversity, but we should definitely take the adversity and say that is what makes us grow. The challenges are what get us to become something more than we are right now. And and your story is a, a fine example of that. So definitely, definitely appreciate you sharing that with us today. Well, I hope people will go and check out your book. I'm certainly looking forward to it, and I hope that uh, I hope that it does get made into a movie. I, w- I would love to watch that. But uh, for the meantime, I-, I will settle for for listening to this and for checking out your book. But Sean, thank you so much for coming and joining me on the show. Is is there anything that you'd like to say just in closing today?
1: You know, I, I appreciate you having me here, Johnny, and I think we covered a lot. You know, if there's anything that a viewer a listener takes from this, I hope they just apply it to their personal life immediately, because if they don't right now in this second, it's probably not going to get implemented. What happens if we don't act immediately on a feeling or an inspiration What's an inspiring moment is that those doubts and fears surface again, and you're going to get pulled back into the way you've been living and distracted because you have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things going on that do need your attention. But if we have to make a shift and we want to make a a change in the way we're living, it has to be that that spark, that catalyst that changes us. And it has to be an action right now. So whatever it is, whatever feeling surfacing within you that you know you need to be doing that you're not, go do it right now. Like not in five minutes, not in a minute, right now. Put on the shoes, go run, pick up the phone, call your, your sister, your brother, someone you haven't talked to, get outside and go move your body or whatever it is that your mind and your heart are telling you to do, go do it right now.
0: I wholeheartedly concur. I always encourage people to find just one thing from the episode that you can take action on or, or move forward with. And you've done a great job of emphasizing that. So I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming and sharing everything you shared with us today. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I'd say a privilege even Sean. Thank you so much. I wish you every continued success for the future. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to subscribe if you're not already. Please do try and take one thing away from every show at least that you can put into action in your own life during the week. Next time we're talking kindness with Donna Cameron, the author of A Year of Living Kindly. I hope you'll join me for that. Remember to share the show with your friends. I'll look out for you next time. Have an amazing week.